now that you've greeted, would you just greet God for a second? Would you take a minute and be still before him, settle yourself, ask the Lord to speak to you tonight, leave your worries at the door, and let him be your king tonight, would you? Pray with me. Lord, we come together to sit at your feet. We come together, Lord, as a Mary, with our eyes turned upward, our ears open, our heart longing, and we're ready to receive from you. We leave our Martha at the door, and we come before you, Lord, and ask that you will have your way with us tonight, and that you will enter this place and enter our hearts and our minds and our souls. And Lord, I just pray Paul's words tonight, that I not come with words of eloquence, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. We invite you to have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Okay, so we've been doing fun stuff like getting out of denial, <laughs> facing our issues, um, dealing with parental things that might have affected us as we were growing up and how they can affect our life as um, adults and kind of identifying some of those things. We've had you um, working on a couple things, and so we haven't made that extremely clear, so I'm going to repeat this part of it for you for anybody that's missed any of it. One is I shared my testimony one night. I broke it down into things like good moments, noble moments, missed moments, things like that. Um, that is a great way for you to kind of think of your own story and write out your own story of what God has done in your life. And as Pastor Chuck does the tapestry series, it's amazing because that's exactly what you will begin to see as you write out your story is the way that God has woven um, different things in different ways and ends up writing a making a beautiful tapestry out of your life. And so that's one thing I hope you will work on. I hope you will really do that. Um, I know that with my testimony having some really horrific things in my background, um, it's easy to just focus on that. And what this breakdown did is it made me really focus on some other, other things that were in my life that God did, and, and I want you to have the same benefit that I did. The other is two letters, one for dad, one for mom. What I got that I didn't want, what I wanted that I didn't get, okay? And I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with those letters at the end of tonight. So those are a couple things that we have you working on right now. Tonight what we're going to do is talk about the father wound. We're going to wrap it up and, and talk about healing the father wound tonight. And so in your books, last week I didn't say this, but those of you that have books, uh, those of you that ordered books, they're in the back. Those of you that need a book, we have some extras. Those of you that have your books, I went out of order last week. It's in there. The father wound is in there, and we'll go to the all alone wound next week. Um, I didn't jip you and skip over and come up with something all new. It's just in a different order, okay? So hopefully you can find it in there. And, um, and the other thing I'm going to do tonight, see, this is the beautiful thing, your guinea pigs, is when we write something new and we try it for the first time, then we find out what's working and what isn't. So we're kind of moving some things around, so please bear with us. Uh, tonight, I'm not going in order of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, because that would just be too simple. So, um, good, because we're getting really serious here, so let's <laughs> loosen up a little bit. Um, so, I'm going to mix it up a little bit, but I'll tell you, hopefully, if I remember what number we're at, where. Okay, let me see what time it is. Okay, I better run. Here we go. You ready? Okay. 
in order for us to even address the father wound, to um, have any kind of healing at all, is really to deal with Father God himself and to allow him to be the one that fills that wound and ministers to us. In order for us to even get to know what he is like, the, the best way to do that is to look at Jesus. And in John 4, 7 through 1, Jesus says these words, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and you have seen him. Jesus was an exact representation of what God the Father wanted people to know about who he was and his heart. Jesus teaches that if you saw him, you saw the Father. If you heard him teach, he was only speaking what he heard the Father speak. If you saw his actions, he only did what he saw the Father doing. These are Jesus' words that he proclaims throughout John. And so when we look at Jesus, we can say that we are seeing Father God in action with skin on at work. Same thing when people see us. If we bear the name of Christ and we tell people that we're Christians, hopefully they see Jesus once in a while. (laughs) Maybe once a month. (laughs) Hopefully more. Okay? So then we become a representation of Christ here, Jesus with skin on. I know you've heard that. So we're going to look at a story with Jesus interacting with a woman. And out of that, we're going to come to some conclusions about God's heart as a father, okay? So we're looking at the woman at the well tonight. This is in John chapter 4. John 4, verses 1 through 16. This is one of my favorite stories. I think it's because of all of the things that surround this story make this story that much more impactful, incredible, and really, to me, shows the heart of God. Uh, Let me just read, first of all. John 4, 1 through 26, but I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to read parts of it. Um, No, I'm not. I'm changing. Hang on. I'm figuring myself out. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay, I want everybody to take a deep breath. Thank you. You're stressing me out. (laughs) All right. Let me tell you the story. Jesus is coming through town, and he decides to go out of his way. He goes to a town called Samaria. Jews did not go to Samaria. They literally went around the long way. They took the other freeway. They went through rush hour traffic. They went down the 91 instead of taking the 15 because they did not want to go through Chino, okay? And so because they didn't like the people that lived in Chino and the people that lived in Chino were disgusting. And so literally the Jews would go through all the way around, sorry if you live in Chino, all the way around so that they could get to the other side around and not have to deal with Samaritans. Samaritans were a mixed breed. They were a combination of Jew and um, other people groups. And landing in Samaria, they end up, you know, Samaritan. Duh. So there you go. Um, The thing that is amazing about this is Jesus goes out of his way to approach this woman. He comes to a well in the middle of the day. It's actually in the heat of the day. She's there by herself because the women all came together in the morning when it was cool to draw water. Only women that were outcasts, only women that were not part of the group, um, showed up in the middle of the day, usually women of ill repute, women that made a living a different way. And so that's usually when those women came out. But Jesus made sure he was at the well at that time of day. The woman that was there, he still wouldn't have spoken to because he was a man, and a man did not speak to a woman in public. It was not part of their society. It was considered um, not acceptable behavior. 
He also would not speak to her as a Jew because she was a Samaritan. And so he wouldn't speak to her because he was a man and she was a woman. He wouldn't speak to her because he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. The other thing he would not do is he would not speak to her as a rabbi or as a teacher of the law, which Jesus was considered. Oftentimes they call him teacher and rabbi because he spoke in the synagogue. He taught on the word of God. And he especially would not come near a Samaritan because he would be unclean if he were to do that. The funny thing is, is that Jesus not only comes to her and begins to talk with her, and she right away picks up on it and asks him, why are you speaking to me? Why are you talking to me? Well, they get into a little bit of a debate. This is a, she's a very smart chick, this one. And she knows how to kind of debate with Jesus a little bit about the religions of the time, a little bit about what the Jewish religion believed, a little bit about um, tradition, Jacob's well, where they would worship on the hill, different things like that. And so they went through this scenario back and forth. But the thing that's amazing to me is how Jesus goes right to the well, and he begins to speak to her about drawing him some water. Now, again, this would not be acceptable because for him to drink from her vessel, again, he would be unclean. They would not even touch a vessel of a Samaritan. And she in return, it talks to him about this. They go back and forth. And Jesus um, is smooth. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that Jesus is smooth with you? You think he's teaching you one thing, and then you find out it was not about them, it was about you all along. And so this girl thinks she's being asked to draw water, and the next thing you know is that he's talking to her about her thirst and about how the water that she's drawing will always continue to make people thirsty. They will always need more water. And yet if she knew who she was talking to, she would ask him, and he would give her water that would never let her thirst again. And so he talks about thirst. She thinks they're talking about water. Next thing, he brings up men. He asks her to bring her husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now, he's not your husband. <coughs> hmm. Right away, she identifies him as a prophet. Then they go back and forth, and basically what they end up with is that she discovers that he is Messiah. He is the Christ, the one they've been waiting for. And with this, she ends up going into the town. The outcast woman, the woman that even her own people would not speak to or associate with, and she was used of God to bring the Samaritans to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. She ended up telling them about this man that told her everything about her life, this man that met her at the well. And then Jesus comes and follows her in, validates her story, and begins to teach, and the Samaritans come to know him and accept him as Messiah. So I have some questions for you tonight. Have you made the best choices in your life? Have you experienced rejection from others and perhaps even from your father? Are you afraid to face the truth about yourself because whenever you've been honest, it's been thrown back in your face? Maybe you've been seeking to fill a void. You've been thirsty. You've been longing. You've been hungry. And maybe it's been men. That may be the thing you filled it with. Perhaps it's food, shopping. Could be a number of things. 
Perhaps for you, it's just a matter of needing a second chance. You just need to try it again. Are you thirsting for your father's approval still? Depending on your age, it could be years. You see, in this story, Jesus shows us the tenderness, the compassion, the approachability, his willingness to break all the rules, his willingness to bend down, his willingness to get dirty, his willingness to take our tears, get up close and personal, his willingness to take our filth, his willingness to bear it all and sit with us in it and be there with us in it by the well when no one else is around. And as little girls, hopefully, we've had moments with a dad that has been there when no one else has been around. But for many, that's not true. That's never been an experience. But Jesus shows us the heart of a father who will be with you in it. So we want to look at God tonight. What kind of father is he? This is in your book. I'm starting with number two. God is a law-giving father. He meets our needs for trust and acceptance. And I want to read to you Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. A new covenant. The old covenant was with Moses, and that was in the Old Testament. New covenant will be with Christ. That's New Testament, okay? So I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. It will not be made like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put the law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is a beautiful, if you look at the, the Ten Commandments, and if, if any of you have seen the old Ten Commandment movie with Charlton Heston, and he goes up on the hill and God writes it, psh, the lightning bolts write it on the tablets and the whole deal. It's quite dramatic. Um, not anything like the uh, Terminator movie we saw this morning, however, but, you know, it was, it was quite dramatic when it was made. And um, Casey was scary. I don't know. I don't want to pass her in the hall. So... Anyways, I was thinking about this passage, and when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord, it's as though that experience of God writing on the tablets for Israel actually takes place in our heart. He begins to write on our heart. We belong to him. He puts his name on our heart. He engraves it. He carves it there. We are his he, began, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And with that, then, we have the word of God as that spring of living water that wells up within us, that brings us to mind the word of God, that brings to mind the ways of God, that brings to mind the purposes of God, that brings to mind the heart of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Wells up within us and teaches us the word of God from the inside out, rather from the outside in. He's a lawgiver. We learned last week that Rules help keep us in check and boundaries and all of those kinds of things. And right now we live in a society where there are very few rules that are really followed. And we have chaos a lot of times. But see, there's something about trusting a God that we know makes rules. Society has a problem with that. Sometimes I have a problem with that. 
Okay, you don't have to admit you have a problem with that. But sometimes we don't like to follow God's rules. And yet when we look at it not as his rules, but as his guidelines and actually as his protection, then it changes. You know, my daughter, Amy, when she was little, was my, the one that just always had like wheels. You know, she was always moving, always going, always running, always whatever. So we got one of those things, you know, the, the dog collars? the little harness things, put it on my kid, because we would walk through the mall and I would lose her. And I would get the nastiest looks, and some of you just moaned at me, I heard you. And I would get the nastiest looks and everything, but you know what? It looked mean. It looked like I was a harsh mother. I can't tell you how many times I've lost that kid in the rack, in Walmart, in the middle of the rack. Where is she? I don't know. And they pack Walmart, so good luck you know? And so then she'd climb, I mean, she was a climber, and she was a little girl, but it didn't matter. She climbed, and she was gone. And so it looked harsh, but the whole time it was really because I knew that if I turned my head for one second, she was gone. I didn't like putting it on her. I wish I didn't have to put it on her, but it was cute. It had a little animal on the front, and it was pink, you know. It was cute. Finally, I could take it off, Finally, she learned to walk with me. Finally, she learned to hold my hand. Finally, she learned to stay. Why? Because she didn't want it on anymore. And she learned how to stay close. And that's what the Word of God is, is really all about. It's about teaching us how to stay close. It's about teaching us how not to run off on our own direction without God. It's learning how to stay close to Him. But do you trust Him enough to stay close to Him? Do you trust him enough to follow his ways? Do you trust him enough to believe in his ways? Well, Henry Nouwen is a writer. He's been around for many, many years. I love his, his works. Very deep, very thought-provoking. And he wrote a book called Sabbatical Journeys. And he writes about some friends of his that were called the Flying Rudellas. They are trapeze artists. And... Um, he tells us about the special relationship between a flyer and a catcher. And the flyer would pick up steam and get ready to go, and it would come to a certain point when the flyer would have to let go. And at that point, the flyer needed to stay completely still and trust that the catcher was going to be able to catch it. If the flyer began to reach for the catcher, and wrestled and struggled and pressed, it would miss the balance of the two coming together and the, the, the catcher wouldn't be able to catch the flyer. The flyer had to let go and trust. <sighs> How many of you are being asked to let go right now? Sometimes in our lives we've been asked to let go, we've been made to let go, and it hasn't been safe and it hasn't felt good and it's been hurtful, and it's been painful, and those times make it harder for us to trust a God that asks us to let go. I want you to know I'm going to ask you to take my word for it. He's caught me every single time. I'm kind of hanging out there right now. Do you see me? Do you hear me? And, um, and I'm trusting that he's going to catch me. And so I'm asking, will you trust him? God's ways are written within your heart. Number three, God is a warrior father. He meets our need for protection, for comfort and security. 
Psalm 91 is one of my favorite psalms, beginning at verse 2. It reads, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Protection under his wings. I don't share these things very often, but during worship and I was in prayer, and he was singing about the song about being under his wings. And I literally saw these huge wings in my mind's eye covering this building. And I saw it, him, the wings, like doing like this, like he was gathering you all and gathering you in closer and closer and closer. A couple of you were getting loose. <laughs> You think I'm kidding, I saw it running. And, um, but, he, but I watched these wings reach out and come in. So I began to pray that, that God would just envelop you tonight and father you tonight and wrap his arms around you tonight. He is a protector. It's in his nature to protect us. I love to call Jesus my warrior king because I didn't have anybody fighting for me when I was a little girl, anybody standing up for me, but Jesus is my warrior king, and I love that about him. There's an interesting thing that God's been teaching me about this concept, that he is my refuge. You know the, the show Survivor? Anybody brave enough to admit they watch it? Okay, good, a couple of you. Um, Survivor, it's all about alliances, right? And the alliances, do they ever stick to their alliances? <laughs> they stab each other in the back. Oh, you guys are a tough crowd tonight. <laughs> so they stab each other in the back. The alliances never follow through. They end up turning on each other constantly, right? And I started thinking about fear, because I tend to fear things. And the Lord showed me something. Every time I fear, it's usually because it has to do with people. And this comes from the wounds that I received as a kid. And I fear people for a lot of different reasons. And when something goes wrong, right away I'm afraid, what are they gonna say? What are they gonna think? What are they gonna do? What are they gonna do? And I go through the thing in my head. Anybody do that? And God showed me this just a few weeks ago because I was making myself crazy. He said, through the word showed me that if I'm putting all of my trust in people, that they will never betray me or never turn on me or never walk away from me or never any of those things. If I, if I put my trust in people, then I'm making them my refuge. And the scripture says, he is my refuge and my strength. And so the trick is making God the refuge. What does he think? What does he say? How does he feel about me? How does he look at me? Has he forgiven me? Is he trustworthy? What is his character like? What's our relationship like together? And that's where the refuge is. It doesn't mean the other things don't hurt. It doesn't mean they won't stop happening. It doesn't mean we don't have to work on them and repair them and fix them and mend them and pray for them. But what it does mean is that if people are what we put our refuge in, we will always be disappointed. And some of you were disappointed by your fathers. You were let down by them. So now God's asking you to put your refuge in him, to put your trust in him. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced 
that neither life nor death, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, I said that already, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will be able to separate us from his love. When we talk about protection in this world, oftentimes we right away think about accidents and horrible things that have happened, and we wonder where God was. This scripture talks about the one thing that you will never be separated from, and that is the love of God. That is the thing he warfares for. That is the thing he fights for. That is the thing he died for, his love for you. That's what he came down here for. That's what he expressed himself for, you so that you would know that you are loved, so you would know that somebody died for you, that somebody stood up for you, that somebody bore it for you, that somebody walked down that Via Della Rosa for you. And he will maintain that love relationship with you. He will fight to maintain it. He will warfare over you. He will sing songs over you. He will intercede for you. All of those things the scriptures teach. Are we willing to be okay with the eternal things that God fights for, for us? Are we willing to trust him and know that our souls, once he takes hold of our soul, it's his and he will fight to maintain it and he will keep it for eternity? Are we willing to accept that his love is unconditional and it doesn't matter what you've done or like Chuck said this morning, how many times you've had to walk down that aisle? I've had to walk down it a couple times too. We don't get through this life unscathed. But one thing I've found about God, I can go back as many times as I need to. The biggest problem is when I'm too prideful and I won't go. Because you know what? I've found out I'm a lot harder on myself than God is on me. God's word says that he will forgive us. God's word says that he loves us. Do we, do we believe that? God is our forgiving father, number four. Jesus is the buffer. He meets our need for discipline and forgiveness. In Romans 5, 6 through 8, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you and me. So often we think we have to get it together before we come to God. Jesus died for us when we didn't have it together. Jesus died for us when we didn't even know we needed a Savior. And so we don't have to get it together before we come to God. We just need to come. And we need to come every day. And I need a Savior every day. I don't know about you. And Philip Yancey, recounts a story about C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is the one that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. This is during a British conference on comparative religions. And experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith that was different, that set it apart from other religions. They began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation, other religions, had different versions of God's appearing in human form. Resurrection, again, other religions had accounts of return from the death. The debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis walked in the door and he asked what the ruckus was about. And he asked and he heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions and Lewis's responded, oh, that's easy. 
It's grace. After some discussion, the conferees had to agree the notion of God's love coming to us free of charge seems to go against every instinct of humanity because we want to earn it. We want to earn it. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, and Muslim code of law, each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. Do you need unconditional love? Do you believe what you say you believe? There is something that we all say in Christianity. Many of us have said it. I've heard it many times. I've said it myself. And somebody challenged my thinking a few months back. We say things like, we believe that God forgives us, but I can't forgive myself. Anybody heard that? And uh, it was several months back, somebody said to me, or I heard on the radio, I think. I can't remember where it was. I wish I could remember because it was really powerful. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach that we are to forgive ourselves. In Scripture, it teaches that we're to forgive others, but nowhere does it teach we are to forgive ourselves. This is why. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you confess your sins, you're clean. There's no need for you to forgive yourself you've been washed clean. Amen. If you do not accept that, you do not believe in the power of the cross. If you are walking under condemnation and beating yourself up, you're telling Jesus that the cross wasn't enough to carry your sin, to take care of your shame, to wash you clean. And so when we have a hard time and we carry that around, we need to learn, and I was the worst culprit at this, that I'm actually going against scripture. I don't need to forgive myself. I need to have faith, and I need to believe that Jesus Christ, the buffer, the one that stands before the Father God and stands on my behalf and says, God, she's the one I died for. God, she's the one. Remember her? Remember we talked about her that day. She walked forward. We saw her. She came. She accepted me. She's the one I went on the tree for. She's the one that they pierced my hands for. She's the one that I cried over and wrestled with you over in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, do you see? Father God, do you see? That's her. Jesus stands as the buffer between us and God. And he speaks on your behalf and he defends you and he stands up for you. I can't say that enough. I'm so passionate about that. Okay. What time is it? Oh, good. We have more time. Okay. All right. I get going and then I lose myself. Um, number five, God is a spiritual mentor. He meets our need for guidance and advice. God is a patient father. Number six, he meets our need for security, guidance, and discipline. I want to read to you a couple scriptures. John 14, 26. But the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And James 1, 5 through 6 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Jesus came 
so that we would know the heart of the Father. Jesus then went to be with the Father when he was resurrected and taken up into heaven. Then they sent the Holy Spirit so that we would still have the guidance and the counsel and the wisdom of God. Within, not without. It's with you all the time. All you have to do in James 1 is ask. Some of us did not have fathers that guided us or counseled us or directed us or taught us. But God the Father can and will daily speak to you encourage you, guide you, direct you, counsel you, mentor you. He is available through the Holy Spirit to do that and through his word. And the two of them work together to become the best counseling system out there, and it's free. So you go to the Lord, you go to the word, you ask for the wisdom, you ask for the Holy Spirit, and you've got the best counselor that has ever walked the face of the earth ministering to you. And, and um, I can't encourage you enough. In the last um, little while, there's been some decisions that I've had to make and some things that I've had to do, and I've really, really, really struggled with them. My heart is telling me one thing, and my head is telling me something else. Anybody got that going on? I think with us as women, our hearts usually win, I don't know. Mine, mine puts up a good fight. So my heart's going in one direction, my head's going in another. And there's this thing I do, and it works every single time, and so I did it. I figure I preach it to you guys all the time. I might as well take some of my own medicine. And uh, I sat down with the pros and cons list, and I prayed and asked God for wisdom according to James 1. And I asked him to please give me every scenario that, he, that I could think of to put those thoughts in my mind, the pros and the cons, if I were to go this way. I wrote it out. And if I were to go this way, and if I were to go this way, and if I were to go this way, there was like four choices I had. And every single one of them came out heavy on one side. Every single one of them. To where it was very, very, very clear what direction and what decision I needed to make. Then comes the trick. Oh! <laughs> Will I let go? Will I trust then that I've asked God for wisdom? Do not believe it, do not, or believe it, do not doubt, or you will be tossed to and fro in the sea. So God gave the wisdom, showed me very clearly what I was to do, and then I had to do it. And I had to let go and trust God to do it. Do you need a counselor in your life? Do you need someone to give you guidance? Do you need someone to teach you? God is our nurturing father. That's all the way back to number one. Nurturing father. He meets our need for time and focused attention. Time and focused attention and communication. Now flip back to number seven. <laughs> Just for the fun of it. Number seven. Those of you that didn't buy the book are going, man, I'm sure glad I didn't buy the book. <laughs> God, our healing father, God is a healing father, and he meets our need for comfort, forgiveness, and acceptance. And we're almost done. Comfort, forgiveness, and acceptance. Psalm 56, verse 8. You have taken account of my wanderings, and you have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? It's in the scripture. That God cares about your tears. 
that he takes every tear and he makes note of it in his book. And he takes every tear and he collects it in a bottle. And what that tells me, I'm sure it's symbolic, but what it tells me is that not a tear has been shed that he has missed. Not a tear has been shed that got past God, the nurturing father, the healing father. Isaiah 49, 16, see I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. We talked about that a little bit. When Jesus was crucified and the nails went through his hands, it's an interesting thing when he comes back and he meets Thomas face to face. And Thomas is having a little trouble believing. And Jesus says to put his hands into the wounds of his hands. And I think it's interesting because Jesus comes back in a glorified state. His body is glorified and yet he still had the wounds in his hands. Where you are written, that print where the nail went through has your name on it. It's there so he remembers. It's written in the palm of his hands. I really think that's what that scripture means. I think it's interesting that in Jesus' glorified state, that was still there, as well as the wound in his side. Matthew 10.30, And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now we say that verse, and we think that's really silly, but I don't know about you, I go through stages when I have a lot of sink that I can count in the sink, or a lot of hair I can count in the sink. I don't know, it must be this beautiful color that we put on. Might have something to do with it, I'm not sure. But there's times when I'm looking at the hair and I'm thinking, my goodness, there's hair everywhere. And Jesus, or God, knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. What does that tell me? It tells us that he pays that close of attention to you. That he knows exactly how many fell in the sink today and how many are in your brush. And how many stuck to the wall when you were blow-drying your hair. <laughs> he knows every single bit of you. Every single part of you. He is a nurturing father. He knows you. I love this by Max Lucado. I'm going to read this to you. There are many reasons God saves you. To bring glory to himself, to appease his justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty. But one of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because he's fond of you. He likes having you around. He thinks you are the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and sunrises every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he will listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and he chose your heart. And the Christmas gift he sent you in Bethlehem? Face it, my friend, he's crazy about you. That's from Max Lucado's book, A Gentle Thunder. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It's probably one of my favorite verses in scripture. 
His yoke is easy and his burden is light. How does that look? How does God heal us? How does he nurture us? How does he come alongside us? How does he father us? How does he minister to us? How does he get us where we need to go? It looks different for every person and it shows up different for me almost every single day. It showed up for me the day that I was at a retreat and I was so tired and exhausted and broken that a mentor of mine came and tucked me into bed as a grown woman and sat at my bedside and stroked my hair and I sobbed because I couldn't remember my mother ever doing that. I'm sure she did, but I blocked out so much of my childhood that I never remembered anybody just tucking me in and stroking my hair. And I absolutely sobbed. I was fathered through a mother that day. I had a girlfriend who sat up with me all night long when I was dealing with a lot of warfare in my home and demonic oppression. And in the middle of the night with her, holding me, arms around me, and us crying together, I felt God's love for the very first time. I've seen God father me and nurture me and heal me when friends have forgiven me because I have hurt them. I've seen God father me and heal me and nurture me when pastors have believed in me and given me opportunities that make no human sense. I am touched by God when I get emails that encourage me. When books come around that challenge me, like the shack. And right now, there are a few women that just won't stop praying for me. And that's how God has loved me. And how he has cared for me. And how he has embraced me. Psalm 10:14. You, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it to take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. If you have been fatherless, if you have been motherless, if you have had a mother and a father, but there's been moments when you felt unfathered or unmothered, God desires to be the one who gives you that back and desires to be the one who wraps his arms around you and lets you know how much he really, truly loves you. And he wants to do it from the inside out. There's a little bit of a catch. He will love you no matter what. But there's one thing that will get in the way of you really experiencing it, and that is if you cannot forgive your mother or father. There are people that have been abused by their parents. It's a tough one. So I'm standing up here, and those of you that heard my testimony know that I know what it means to forgive people of absolutely horrific things. And I'm going to tell you why I was able to do it. Because I'm capable of really horrific things. I want you to think about that for a minute. To the extent that God has given me grace and I have not ended up in a psych ward, I have not ended up on the street, I have not ended up as a prostitute, I have not ended up on drugs, I have not ended up with a trail of men behind me, is all a miracle. It's a miracle. And those of you that heard my testimony know that's true. Some of you have not made it through quite unscathed as that. 
And so it's harder to forgive. I'm going to give you a clue. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a choice. Forgiveness is a command, and it's something we do out of obedience to God. And it looks something like this. Lord, I don't get it, and I can't do it by myself, and I really hated that this happened or that this didn't happen, or where was my mom or where was my dad? I'm really angry that they weren't around or et cetera, whatever your story is. But Lord, your word tells me to forgive, and so I'm going to forgive them. I choose to forgive as an act of my will out of obedience to your word. And I trust that in time, you are going to give me the feeling to follow the action. And then when it comes up again, you just go back and say, Lord, I already forgave them. I'm giving it back to you. 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 How many times? As many times as it takes. If you've ever had to be forgiven for something, then you know what an amazing gift it is. As being, being a mom, a mom that was abusive to my children because of all the abuse that took place with me, I know what it feels like to have my child forgive me. I know what it feels like to have a conversation with my daughter and tell her that I was sorry the day I threw her across the room. And I know what it feels like to have her look at me and say, it's okay, Mom, I forgive you. Now we don't all get to go through that exchange. But I want you to know that moms and dads do the best they can with what they have. And some of us do a horrific job and some of us do an amazing job. But either way, God does the best job. And with God, your wounds are not too big. And with God, your wounds are not too great. And with God, the gaping hole is not too big. He can fill it. And some of you have come forward before and some of you have raised your hands in the last couple of weeks and you didn't come forward and that's okay. But I want to tell you something. Are you ready? Are you really serious about this journey being a woman of God? We can come here every Sunday night, but if we don't take it serious and we don't press into God and we don't go, and let go, he can't catch us. He can't catch us if we don't let go. He can't put his hands out and take hold of you if you're not willing to give him everything, all of you. It's not an easy journey. I'm telling you, it's not an easy journey. But you know what? It's a heck of a lot better than the journey I was on before I found him. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. He's never turned his back on me. He's never rejected me. He's never looked down on me. He's never called me a name. He's never spoken about me behind my back. He's never stabbed me in the back. He's never, you fill the blank. He has loved me. He has accepted me. He has healed me. He has restored me. He has given me opportunities that are ridiculous. And I get to stand up here and bend your ear for 35, 40 minutes, an hour and a half, three hours, five hours, as long as you let me. Do you understand? He loves you. We're going to do something a little different tonight. We're going to do the altar call first. And then for those of you that are left, we're going to do something different. Okay? So I'm going to tell you right now. You know if God has been stirring in your heart the last couple weeks, and you know if it's time for you to come forward. You know if you need to come forward for the 10th time. 
And this isn't for me. I don't care if nobody comes forward if God's not calling you. But if God's calling you, I really do care that you come forward. If God's stirring in your heart, I really do care that you don't miss this moment that he might be wanting to absolutely change your life and absolutely get a hold of you and minister to you in a way that maybe you've never experienced before. So I'm going to have you stand. I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you know that it's time to recommit your life to Christ and let go, really let go, and you're willing to trust him even though it makes no sense in your head, you're going to take some crazy lady's word for it, you're going to trust him and let go, and you're going to recommit your life tonight, then you're going to pray this prayer with me. If you've never accepted Christ before and you had no idea any of this stuff I was talking about tonight, maybe you've only had glimpses and you get that God is the Father that you've always needed, then I'm going to ask that you pray this prayer with me. Let's pray. Those of you that know the Lord, I want you to intercede. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are my warrior king. Thank you that you are my nurturing father. Thank you for your unconditional love for me. Thank you that my name is written in the palms of your hands. Thank you that you died for me. I confess my sins to you, Jesus, and I accept your cleansing power. I receive your Holy Spirit, and I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. I believe in you, Jesus. I want to live my life for you. I'm ready to let go. In Jesus' name, amen.